Channel, you are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with your word for today. And I want to begin today with the first reading, which is taken from the book of Judges. There was a man of Zorah of the tribe of Dan called Manoah. His wife was barren. She had borne no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to this woman and said to her, You are barren and have had no child, but from now on take great care. Take no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for you will conceive and bear a son. No razor is to touch his head, for the boy shall be God's Nazarite from his mother's womb. It is he who will begin to rescue Israel from the power of the Philistines. Then the woman went and told her husband, A man of God has just come to me. His presence was like the presence of the angel of God. He was so majestic. I did not ask him where he came from, and he did not reveal his name to me. But he said to me, you will conceive and bear a son. From now on, take no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the boy shall be God's Nazarite from his mother's womb to his dying day. The woman gave birth to a son and called him Samson. The child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move in him. Do you ever wonder how the readings are selected at Mass? Um, well, I hope you do, because I'm about to tell you. And the basic scheme of things is that Sundays are divided into three cycles, year A, B, and C, and the new year begins at Advent. So we've just recently ended year A and began year B. And in year A, we read mostly from the Gospel of Matthew and year B, we read the Gospel of Mark and chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. And then in year C, we read the Gospel of Luke. Now, the Gospel of John is read during the Easter season in all three years. The first reading is usually from the Old Testament, and these reflect important themes from the Gospel reading. The second reading, though, is usually from one of the epistles, a letter written to an early church community. And if you're looking for a link between the second reading and the gospel and the first reading, don't look too hard because they're not intended to link up. I didn't realize this for many years, that the readings from the letters of St. Paul and others were not supposed to link directly to the gospel and first reading. And so was often left wondering why I couldn't spot the link. Then at daily mass, so not on the Sundays, aren't during the rest of the week, we follow a two-year cycle, and we've just moved in that cycle from year one into year two. The Gospels for both years are the same. It's only the first reading that changes. And I mention all this because hopefully it's interesting to know and to realize that the readings are not completely random, and also that if you follow the readings each day, you're going to get through a great deal of the scriptures. But I also mention it because today we have one of the most important types of link between our first reading and our gospel reading. We have an example of typology going on today. In the first reading, which I read, we hear all about the birth of Samson. And in the gospel reading, which I didn't read, we hear all about the birth of John the Baptist. And biblical typology refers to when a person or an event or a thing, usually from Old Testament times, foreshadows some event, some person or something in the New Testament times. For example, in the Old Testament, Jonah's three days in the belly of a fish 
prefigure Jesus Christ's three days in the tomb. And in fact, Jesus explicitly makes this link when he predicts his resurrection. Or Melchizedek's offering of bread and wine, well, that prefigures Jesus' offering of his body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearances of bread and wine. In our first reading today, we heard of the birth of Samson and then the Gospel of John the Baptist. And if you were to read the two side by side, which I'd encourage you to, you'll notice a lot of similarities. First, we have a mother who is unable to have children. And we hear that God granted Hannah's prayers for a son. And we also hear that God granted her Zechariah's prayer for Elizabeth to bear a son. Then we have a Nazarite vow. Hannah's vow that no razor would touch Samuel's head, and John the Baptist would not drink wine or strong drink. Then we have children dedicated to God, um, and then in the gospel we've got John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the list of similarities goes on. But what we see is that what we get in the Old Testament is always a sign of greater things to come. Now, there are some people who want to suggest that because we see similar themes and stories from the, New and the Old, from the New and the Old Testaments, that this must just show that the stories are made up. Or you can, as I do, take the view that the patterns and the similarities that we observe are a sign of God's never-ending relationship with his creation. And he's in relation even from the very first moment of the first sin. He's working out a plan of redemption, the fullness of which is only found in the coming of Christ, but the beginnings of which are right there at that moment of the first sin. And sometimes we understand the New Testament lesson better because we've recognized the same lesson in the Old Testament. I think that's the case in life sometimes. We have to be prepared to receive profound teaching by familiarity with something like it. And Old Testament types can teach us important truths about the New Testament realities, the fulfillment that they foreshadow. For example, Jesus tells us that his death on the cross was foreshadowed by the statue of the snake that Moses made in the Old Testament. Now, that's a really weird story in some ways to connect to Jesus' death, but we have to take it seriously because Jesus tells us about it. But I think the connection does contain an important truth for us. When the Israelites looked at the statue, they didn't merit the healing that they received. We might also reflect that when we look at the cross, we don't merit the gift of redemption that we've been given, the gift freely given. And other typological connections are like this. Every Old Testament type either helps us to realize things that aren't immediately obvious in the New Testament or reinforce truths that are taught clearly, but that we need to hear as often as possible. But there's one final use of typology, which isn't as often spoke about, but which I think is really important. The connections between the Old and New Testaments are often just really interesting and beautiful. And there's value in that, because earthly beauty is a reflection of God's infinite goodness and beauty. So experiencing that beauty is so important in our lives, because it gives us a foretaste of heaven, a glimpse of what we ultimately long for. And so it's important for us to experience beautiful things. 
And since typology is beautiful, and I'm not always completely sure why, but as you spot the links, as you spot the types, you just do tend to have the reaction that that's beautiful. I think the beauty of typology is that it provides one of these foretastes of heaven, one of these glimpses into just how great God really is. Jesus Es el que era testimonio. 